What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Off the Rails, a recovery podcast dedicated to ending the stigma of addiction through open discussion on all things recovery. My name is Mark. With me always are Dave and Jared. And uh, Jared, take it away, buddy. Yeah, today we got a very special guest, Shane Victo. I think that's how you say it. That'll work. Um, that's good. From Boston, Massachusetts. And he's a veteran and been sober since August 23rd, 2018. Congratulations, and we're excited to have you. Thanks, bud. Appreciate Shane, it. thanks so much for joining us today, man. Yeah, I'm excited. So, Yeah, so, you know, as I was explaining to you before, um, every Thursday we put out an episode where we share someone's story with their struggle of addiction, and uh, we're very grateful to have you here today, and we're looking forward to hearing your story. So uh, let's take it away, man. Uh, yeah, my name's Shane. My, my last name uh, is I've, I made short kind of uh, for this kind of thing because I have a wild last name and it just didn't really roll off the edge of your tongue. So when I did my podcast with Tommy and his last name, well, you know, stage name being Vexed, it just worked with Vexed and Vitco. And then that just kind of stuck. So um, at any rate, so I am uh, I'm 42 years old. I grew up in a town called Reading, Massachusetts, about uh, 10 or 15 minutes north of the city, right? And um, uh, yeah, and like you said, my sober date is 8-23-18. Um, I just celebrated four years in August, and uh, I'm living a life beyond my wildest dreams, all thanks to AA and recovery and all that stuff. So, um, but uh, yeah, so I grew up just outside the city, and uh, when I was, when I was, you know, you guys being in recovery, anyone that's watching some recovery, you know that we talk a lot about trauma and childhood shit. And, you know, now that I'm sober and I'm in recovery and I've done some work, I'm able to kind of like sit back and really think about times that I kind of didn't want to ever think about, right? That I just wanted to suppress, hence drugs and alcohol. And, you know, I remember now as a kid, like uh, my mom and dad fighting and my mom leaving and me standing at the window and being horrified that she was never coming back you know, and when she would pull in the relief, right? Like, oh, thank God, my person's back. So my mom got leukemia when I was a kid. And I remember a lot of that time just going to school and then going to the hospital, school, hospital, school, hospital. And I lived like that for a long time. And uh, she finally came home. And then I don't know what happened. She got sick. And the moral of the story is my mom passed away in 1986 when I was six years old. And it was just me and my, uh, loving, attentive, but also extremely angry uh, over nothing, bad tempered dad, you know, blue collar works for the railroad. And um, I just remember being like, dude, you know, it's the first time in my life that I felt actual like sadness and like, you know, and I didn't get it too. Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, to me, it was like, okay, is the gig up? Like, are you coming around the corner? I didn't grasp what death was. And, um, you know, so it was me and my old man in the house. I had four older sisters. I'm the youngest of eight altogether, but there's a bunch of, I'm my mother's only child. But, uh, so it was just me and the, my dad in the house. And I had four older sisters that were all moved out. So it was me and my dad. And, um, you know, I grew up in a house where like, you know, uh, he would make bread. He left for work super early in the morning, but he would leave breakfast on a plate on the table for me. And every morning I'd give it to my dog cause I wasn't hungry, but I wasn't allowed to not eat breakfast cause he'd flip his shit, you know? And, um, you know, like that, like I, this is what I was saying about like, you know, 
my dad was there and was very supportive. And, you know, he, he tried to provide for me the things that weren't provided to him as a kid. He wasn't allowed to play sports and stuff when he was a kid. But like I said, my dad um, was very old school and, and his, it was his way of the highway. And you listened or you fucking, you know, stop crying. I'll give you something to cry about. So, so young, I'm already repressing all these feelings and, and it's not okay to cry. It's not okay. And where I came from and outside in the outskirts of Boston, it was the last thing you want to be is pussy, bitch, fag, homo, Mary, Sally, you name it. Any of those things that were thrown around in the eighties to nineties growing up as a kid. And it's the reason why I stopped playing soccer. It's the reason why I didn't play tennis. It wasn't cool. Hockey was cool. Football was cool. Boxing was cool. That kind of shit. Again, you guys were up in Canada. You understand. And um, hockey, it was for me, you know, and that was my escape for a long time. When I was a kid, I played baseball. I tried football. It coincided with hockey season. It was a nightmare. I did it one season and I was done. But hockey was that thing that my friends, my brotherhood, other guys that like was so about something, you know, like how much practice we'd put in from the pond to the rinks, to the floor hockey, to Sega Genesis. I mean, it was hockey, hockey. I just bled hockey. And um, in my head, I was convinced like, I'm going to play in the NHL. What If someone asked me when I was a kid, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like I didn't, you know, I want to be a doctor and astronaut. I was like, I don't know. I want to play for the Bruins. And like, if that doesn't happen, I don't know what I'm going to do. Coach hockey. Like that was it. Right. So anyways, I grew up in this house of like, you know, one minute, everything's cool. Next minute. It's not, you know, again, so I'm instilling this, like, uh, I never have this sense of calm. So when that just becomes the normal, I mean, shit, man, I'm bound to have ADD and need Ritalin and be an issue in school. And, you know, that's how school was for me. It's not that school was hot. I just disliked it. I didn't like teachers. I didn't like authority. I didn't like being there. It was a social aspect for me. And that's it. And then, um, you know, later on in high school is when uh, I would say around like 14, 15 was the first time like I started experimenting with smoking weed and drinking and stuff. And, you know, I'd be lying if I told you for a good amount of years, I didn't have a lot of fun because I fucking did, man. I went hard and it was great. A lot of it was fun and I had good harmless fun. Some of it got out of line. But what I noticed was, you know, later on down the line is kind of I want to keep going. And everyone else is like, dude, it's like two, I'm going home. And I'm like, well, let's call and go back to the projects and go get more crack. You know what I mean? And like, it didn't make sense to me when no one wanted to keep the party going. And then, you know, how it goes, you start to turn it into just, I don't even want to be with anyone. I'd rather just be on my own and just do drugs by myself. So I started with weed and, and, and drinking and stuff like that. And again, it was, it was harmless. And, uh, in 2000, I was 20 and, um, well, let's back up. So when I was around 15, 16 was the first time that I kind of had a, I guess, mental breakdown. I got fired from a job, a girlfriend broke up with me and like, that was it. I went mental and, you know, I was threatening to kill myself and all this stuff. And I started going, getting put in psych wards and, um, you know, I don't know what psychiatric units look like today, but when I was there as a kid, like I was on an adult unit and this was horrifying. I was in there with some horrifying human beings that was so weird. And, um, 
but I was a basket case. And like, it was, I, I wasn't committing enough crime to go to DYS. And like, my dad couldn't handle it. This was the answer, you know? And it, a lot of that, right? Like in and out of psychiatric bullets, in and out of trying some behavior program, some two week don't smoke weed program, some two week anger management. Like I'm always in these things because the courts require them or it's the only way I won't get kicked out of school. And, you know, as much of it like a burden, it becomes this kind of bad, right? Where you go like, this is kind of cool. This is something, even if I'm known as like the crazy kid, whatever, at least I have something. And, uh, and that was only to a select few because to my friends, again, it was still just kind of like hockey, right? But I think after high school, I dropped out. But once my friends started going to college and moving on and some are going to play hockey in college and do all this stuff and leave and, and whatever, it was kind of me sitting here with my dick in my hand, like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm not going to college. So what do I do? And you turn to other guys that are around you that are doing the same thing with no purpose, no direction, no sense of self, nothing that we don't even know what loving ourselves looks like, let alone how to love anyone else. But every girl we're with, we swear to God up and down, we love them so much, but I'm fucking everything else that moves. You know, (laughs) that was my logic for so long. And um, so before I, so Again, no direction. I'm home doing fuck all. And my buddy's like, hey, I'm joining the army. You want to join? And I'm like, nah, man, I'm joining the Marines. I'm tough as shit, right? So I called the Marine recruiter and I'm like, hey, man, I'm fucking tough. I want to join the Marines. And he was like, all right, you got a high school diploma? I'm like, nah, GD. Is he getting any felonies? I'm like, ah, kind of one pendant. And he's like, yeah, dude, nah, we're not going to be able to work with that. I called the army recruiter. He's like, as long as you can give me a dirty, uh, clean urine in 30 days, you know, I was like, oh, these guys are great. They'll take me. So anyways, you know, and, and, but to tell you, let me tell you what the, what this looked like. So I have this recruiter say to me, tell me you have 30 days. Tell me when, so that I can take you in and you can straight up pass this. Like there's no hidden agenda. Right. And I'm like, I got you. I go online. I'm 20 at the time. Uh, Actually. Yeah. I don't remember what online looked like then but somehow or another i got onto something or figured out and i ordered this whole detox kit that in the next you know 10 days eat nothing but turkey and drink cranberry juice and take these pills and your shit will clear up you know and like i did all these crazy things like because it was like i couldn't just not smoke weed for that long and again i don't see that at the time because it's not a problem my life's still not unmanageable i'm not quite policy well, I was all those things. I just didn't see that. So anyways, uh, so I go, so before I leave for boot camp was the first time uh, around Christmas time, because I left in January uh, 2001. So uh, Christmas of two, uh, 2000 um, was the first time someone was like, hey, have you tried Oxycontin? And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that is. And the way it was explained to me, it was just like, instead of eating five perks at once, you eat one of these and fucking hallelujah. Cool, man. You know, the whole gamut and crush it, sniff it, puke for a second. Man, this is amazing. And like, you know, I've talked to people and I've worked in treatment and I've had clients that tried it one time, shot heroin one time, puked. It was disgusting. Never wanted to touch it again. Me, it was an awful experience. And I was like, when the fuck can I just build up a tolerance to not make it awful? Because that's how my brain worked with, with everything that I did even smoking weed. When I first started smoking weed as a kid, I would like float out of myself and it was so horrifying, but still every day I'm like, I can't wait to have that horrifying feeling again. So I go to the military. 
uh, I go to boot camp without even knowing. Again, after sobriety and looking back, I can pinpoint the first time I ever got dope sick was at boot camp. And I remember shitting my pants and feeling so out of place. And I, again, so much of it's a mental fuck because I didn't know that I was withdrawing at the time. So I don't think that. I'm just thinking I'm in a new place. I feel I'm, you know, nervous about boot camp. So technically the first leg of that, I was, you know, detoxing. So I get out of the military and, you know, for me, the military was going to be my cure-all, right? It was going to get me off drugs, get me on the straight and narrow and and fix all my problems. And it did for a while uh, until that was done. And then now it's like I have a head full of more shit. And what am I going to do? Like, I'm a, I'm a gunner. I mean, where do I go and be like, hey, are you guys hiring machine gunners? Like, I'm pretty, I didn't think that I had anything to offer, right? That's why I joined the infantry. That's why I do like all this caveman, like such alpha, because I don't have anything to offer except just like being tough and being muscle and all this shit. When really, again, I know this now in sobriety, it was just all a fast man. So it was just such a fucking scared kid. So, um, so I get through the military and, you know, this and that. And then uh, in 2000 and 2006, uh, so I'd been out of the military for about two years. And uh, and so, oh, yeah. So when I came home from the military, so in uh, 2003, um, I, I was a full-blown IV heroin user. Like, I mean, I tried to be a, an alcoholic and, and I was, but I was more like a blackout. I'll, you know, you can catch me Thursday, Friday, Saturday, blacked out, maybe even Tuesday. I had no set kind of like I have to drink at 7 a.m. thing. I was more one of those just, you know, if it's happening, it's happening. And I don't get that. Just, you know, let's go have a couple beers. Like, let's balls to the walls, get fucked up, beat someone up, have sex, not remember it. You know, like that's what I thought happened. If that didn't happen, it wasn't a good time. So, um so when I get out of the military and like, you know, again, I'm sitting around with a head full of noise. I get no direction, no purpose, no nothing. And, uh, and, and I knew a kid that was into heroin and, you know, it, your whole life, I feel like, you, you know, how dirty and, and how dangerous and deadly and needles and all that stuff. You don't not learn that. But uh, to think that I could get to a place and not even giving a fuck about knowing that and, and wanting to subject myself to that. Not only did I subject myself to it and stick my arm out in someone else's car. And, uh, and that was that from that day forward, I was married to the needle and, uh, shooting Coke, shooting heroin. I mean, eating pills, crushing them up to try to see how I can shoot them. I mean, you name it, you know, like it was just, I'm a garbage disposal. I didn't care what kind of drugs they were sending. So from 2003 um, until 2006 was just a story of like survival in and out of treatment centers, like never, never grasping what AA was about, never grasping what recovery, it just, it was fake. Didn't seem real to me. You were full of shit. You know what I mean? There's no way you're happy because if I can't, if I'm not happy, you can't be happy. You know, fuck you. That's like, I was so angry. Just give me something more to be angry about. So, um, in 2006, uh, I was bouncing at a bar and I was also living at a sober living, right? That was a bit shady and they didn't give a shit what you did for work. At any rate, uh, I quit that job and, you know, I decided one night, you know, a couple friends were like, uh, hey, let's go out and, you know, let's get high and this and that. And I was like, no, nah, I, I can't fail a drug test. I can't get kicked out of here. 
I was like, but I'll go drink. Right. Cause again, my philosophy was like, well, I'm not that bad with drinking. So let's go do that. And, uh, and we did that. We went out drinking and I ended up stabbing a kid, uh, a few times. And, um, uh, I'll never forget that night. And I went to, um, area two in Boston and, uh, was charged with attempted murder. And then, you know, that it all got lessened and I ended up getting a five-year sentence. So I got a five year sentence and, you know, because it was a violent crime and because I don't know how to fucking act like a, at the time, like act like a human being uh, that might, yo, yo, wish is my command. You want to go hang with the fucking killers? You're on your way. So, you know, I went through classification and went right to maximum security and did that whole dance and got all the fucking scary stickers and, you know, look how scary I am. And, and, you know, again, man, more trauma, more things of like, that feeling of like every day, holy fuck, and then getting used to it and not even give it, like it doesn't even bother you anymore. That's when you become like a goddamn psychopath, you know? Cause now I get out and like, I did, and I told everyone I stayed sober the whole time. I got out and got a five year medallion. I had a full blown Suboxone habit just about the entire time. And I, again, my last 30 days in my cell in, I got out in July 1st. So in June, the whole month of June, I detoxed in a cell with another guy with just a fan in the window. And uh, it wasn't a fun time, but like I couldn't get out with a dirty urine. And again, I'm in these situations and I want to be pissed at everyone because it's not my fault. So um, I got out and uh, didn't know what to do. And I was at a program at the VA and I was, you know, doing my best, like always doing my best to hold on, to just try not to be a piece of shit for a little longer. You know, like maybe I can make it a few months this time. And uh, and then uh, my best friend got shot and killed and a drug deal got bad and gone bad. And like, you know, that really that really that set me back, man, a lot mentally. And uh, and it was an excuse. It gave me an excuse. I feel like death was an excuse for a long, long time. Gave me a real good excuse to get fucked up. And what could you say? It's my best friend. It's my this. And people go, you're right. I mean, you know. But something I learned a long time ago in sobriety is you want to be right or you want to be happy because you can't be both. And today I choose to be happy. So, um, so yeah, so I get out of prison. I was a goddamn lunatic and, uh, you know, things just went south quick and I ended up going back because I violated probation so many times and I went back for two years. I did 18 months. I got parole. Uh, I made it through parole with no problems. As soon as I got off parole, that was it. So I got off parole like uh, May May 11th or something in 2015. And that was it. I, it was the first time that I didn't have any problems or any shit. And I was like, let's do it. And I just basically went on a run that, you know, I, I didn't think, you know, I thought was going to end in the morgue. I just was over it. And uh, I had some people that started making some calls to Florida and California. And cause I was like, I can't, all these places in mass, I'm either not allowed to go to, or I'm just too much of an issue that they won't take, you know? And again, this thing where I'm like, it's everyone's fault. No one will help me. Plus, at the same time, waving my badge of like, hey, man, I'm so big and badass that these places won't even take me. And it's like, imagine thinking like that, a fucking treatment place that's here to help people won't even take you because you're such a pain in the ass, you know? So um, she calls all these places in Florida, no dice. She calls, I get on the phone with some kid that I was in. This is how crazy life works. So she puts me on the phone with someone in California. The guy on the phone with me, has at the time, two years sober, was a kid that was younger than me that lived at the sober living 
the night I stabbed that kid, he lived at that sober living. What are the chances? Some younger kid from Boston is now on the phone. That's like a marketing guy or whatever. So I'm like, this is so bizarre. Anyways, they got me out to this place. And, you know, I don't know what it's like for you guys, but the treatment in the United States is a bit of a racket, right? With insurance, with brokering, with body, all that shit. I mean, there's always, you know, for all the good work, there's a lot of people that are fucking slime balls. And someone being a slime ball saved my life. Like I got into a place with some bootleg insurance that wasn't me. I don't really give a fuck. You know what I mean? It didn't affect me. And I got to experience something. And I got a year sober out of that first year in LA. And I got exposed to so many new things. I got a sponsor and I started doing the steps and I started getting involved and doing things. And I opened, I, I became more willing to things like breath work and shit like that and EMDR and all this therapy stuff. And I just got a good group of people that like, and maybe I had had better, you know, decent counselors and stuff previously in my life. I just wasn't open to receiving what they were telling me. So the people that I got to work with in California in that first year, man, it was life changing. I mean, I never thought that I could be this like peaceful person and shit. But the problem was in that year of sobriety um, from 16 to 17, uh, I, I also was under the impression that, you know, because I got certified as a breathwork instructor and I started doing breathwork. And like once I saw how powerful it was, I'm like, man, I, I have to do this for veterans, addicts, anyone. Right. Because it changed. It was so profound. And um, Shane, I got a question about breath work. Oh, yeah, shoot. When you figured it out, like when you were introduced to it, were you shocked at how long, like you're like, how did I go my whole life without doing this? Yeah, man. I was like, how do more people not know about this? Like, and you know, as an addict, I started going, what if I had done this at 23? What if, well, what if my aunt had not? She'd be my uncle. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, man. And for me, that was the thing was like, from now on, I have to just like recovery, I have to be a voice for, you know, because I feel like in recovery, we're all given a blueprint, right? Like the same blueprint. And then from there, if you want to swim and pool in a different pot than I want, doesn't make you swim and pool wrong. You know what I mean? And, and that for me is breath work for some people for this for that. But I feel like so many people just don't have the information to things. And uh it's not being pushed out in many outlets. So you get what's available, you know? Absolutely. And, Shane, and do you, think, breath- uh, you think breath work would have helped you in prison when you were in there? I don't. And, and, no. you know, <clears throat> people have asked me to go do breath work in prisons and shit, but here's the thing. I don't know that, and I could be wrong and, uh, but I just am not, I think to get that vulnerable in that place, with chaos sitting just outside the doors in a minimum, maybe do I think it'll work at a maximum security prison? Yeah. I mean, it could like, look, I was in a County jail. That's it's just County, but they offered yoga and not many motherfuckers were going, but there was five of us that would go. It was a dude that did it. He came in on his own time. And at first you want to be like, dude, I'm not doing that, but we went and man, I'll tell you what, that shit kicked my ass, you know? So (laughs) do I think, if people wanted to do it, it could be beneficial. Absolutely. I just don't know that that's the setting for it. You know, like, are you willing to like really dig in and do some work right now? And then, because I'll be honest with you, man, I changed. If I go back to prison, I have to re make myself a heartless piece of shit. I don't just do that anymore. That's not just who I am. 
it's a fucking jacket I got if I want to go grab it, but I really don't want to, you know what I mean? So like, I dread that, dude. I don't want to go back there because I don't want to turn that on because man, it was hard to like come back from that. And I don't know if there's another one in me, you know, but breath work, I, I, I avoided it for the better part of a few weeks there when they kept telling me and I was like, I'm all set with you, California hippie yoga shit. I'm all set, you know, <laughs> until finally I was like, you know, I got to a place, man, where it was like, I'm going to just go do a fucking front flip off this building and just swan dive into the fucking parking lot. Cause I can't take the noise in here anymore. I just can't do it. I've had enough. It's been a great run. See ya, you know? And then I finally was like, you know what? Let me just do it. And man, I'm not even talking seven sessions in three sessions in 10 minutes into my first session. And I was like, what the fuck is happening in my head? I'm thinking this girl's, this person has me on Snapchat right now because I got boogies and all kinds of shit. I look like such an asshole because again, my ego and it's all about me and I, everyone's so worried about what I look like and how cool I look like. And what if I don't look cool for fucking 20 seconds and someone gets in, you know, and, uh, and I didn't do that with her and man, it was, it was just so like so many people I've seen after me in my sessions and stuff is just such like this, like, unexplainable, just kind of like, wow, man, that was wild, you know? And then, you know, as I did it and I, people ask me like, how long would I have to do something like that? I don't know. I did it consistently for a year straight. And then obviously, you know, fell back from it from there. But in that first year I did it just, I tell everybody, I think you should stay in treatment for a whole year, be that, you know, however that's broken up where you are, be it detox half, you know, holding halfway house, sobos. I don't give a shit what it's called, but you're somewhere where they're checking your piss at least three times a week. And you got a fucking chore for a year. And, and I mean, the statistics are there, man. It, it teaches you how to live. AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, my sponsor, all these people, they taught me how to live a life outside of AA. So that also means I don't go to 15 meetings every single day because I, I mean, to me, I'm still just I'm trading something. I'm avoiding life. I'm avoiding, you know, again, these are my, my opinions. You know, I think it's important to stay connected, but you know, that was what my, the way my sponsor put it to me. It was like, I, I taught, I was taught and absorbed and learned how to live a life because of Alcoholics Anonymous, but also outside of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, if that makes Shane, sense. Um, I'm an, like an active member in AA and my home group is called Design for Living. And I, I truly believe it is a design for living. So absolutely, it's changed my life in just the short amount of time I've been doing it. So, yeah. And I mean, you know, that's the thing too, is like, you know, my sponsor, for instance, is like, he's a vegan, never been into a fight in his life. He's from California, loves triathlons and all this shit. Like, I mean, man, we're, we're complete opposites and he's a drunk, you know, but this guy, like he just, I tell people, I tell my, you know, people that, you know, the one thing for me that had to happen was I needed someone that I knew I could be hundred percent honest with, but wasn't going to look at me with disappointment. So in other words, if my sponsor says, Hey, did you go to a meeting today? And I go, no. And they do this. You want your sobriety and not that kind of thing. Hey man, know what you just did. You just were my dad. 
my hockey coach, my teacher, anyone else that just fucking shook their head in disappointment. And now all I'm thinking about is fucking biting your cheek, you know? And, um, Shane, I had a quick question. Um, that's the, when you went back to prison, were you able to stay sober at that time? Second time? Uh, if I was, it's just because it was I was forced to because okay. no drugs got through. But I'm pretty sure drugs came through a few times. So boxing's a huge thing in prison now. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty sure I I, I was still using drugs. Yeah. Uh, so you said you you headed out to was it was California for treatment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how was how was your experience there? You said it was a lot better than previous. Yeah. So so again, I, the first place I went to. Um, uh, it, it shut down. The owner was like, you know, God, he's doing life, uh, all kinds of fraud shit, sexual assault on women and stuff like, again, man, that it's horrible. And I don't condone it. I won't mention the name. I don't think it deserves the credit, but it saved, it, it changed it, it. I don't know that it saved my life, but it, it definitely helped a lot of things in my life. And it's what, if it wasn't for that place, I would have never opened this place of being willing or, you know, okay, that makes sense. Let me hear this side of it. You know, it was just, this is how I think this is it. And that's it. There's no discussion, you know? And, uh, you know, now and I don't, not like that these days. So, yeah. So where'd you go from or uh, after treatment? Oh, so that was the first place I went to. And like I said, so I stayed sober for a year in LA and then, um, that's what I was saying. It was like, I, I forgot that I could be a human. Right. So like, I got to this place where like, I'm a breathwork guy and I'm, I'm like this guy that's like happy and so full of light. And everyone's just like, man, like, what is, this is the craziest thing we've ever seen in AA. You were an absolute train wreck. And now you're like this peace breathwork guy. And I'm like, I know it's great. Right. But I'm also under the impression like, well, now that means like, I definitely, I can't say fuck anymore. I definitely cannot say cunt. Um, <laughs> I gotta be happy all the time. Um, there's no room for being sad. I got to be the rock and the shoulder for everyone. And like, fuck, man, I gave myself no room for error. And what I also did was I put all my eggs in one basket. And what I mean by that was I had one gentleman that I used as my sponsor, therapist, dad, uncle, best friend, boss, manager, hairstylist. I mean, one guy for everything. Guess what? Him and I had a fallen out. I didn't know what to do, man. Of course, I had guys' numbers in AA, but not guys that I wanted to call that I knew wouldn't just, you know, feed me some like, well, read page 44 and call me in the morning. No, dude, like I need a real fucking answer, please. You know? And that's what I appreciated about my sponsor, man. I was just a very direct and like, I, you know, that thing of like the disappointment. So when he would say, did you go to a meeting? I'm like, nah, man, I didn't. It wasn't like, why? It was like, all right, cool think we can you know clean that up maybe hit one tomorrow yeah man i got you all right cool all right so next what i want you to do right and like that kind of thing of like him not being let down by me all the time and like that there was no wrong answer and that i was when you you guys know when you when when you're met with i want to do work or i'm willing to and like the reason why he helped me so much is because i was still angry but he knew it wasn't at him. I was angry at myself. I was angry at the disease. I was angry at, at, at my situation. And so many guys in AA saw that. Thank God, because I went to nothing but men's stacks. Again, another thing for the full first year, I think it's vital. Why? 
you don't need to see chicks at a meeting. I promise. Cause you just think about fucking them the whole time. That's <laughs> it. I promise you, especially if you're early in recovery. Oh my God, the wind blows. It's over. So, uh, yeah, man. But you know, I, I learned a lot of things about, uh, again, a higher power, right? I know a lot of people struggle with God and, and that stuff too. And that was me, man. I've, I've tried all the things. I tried getting into church and in, in jail. I tried out of jail. I tried non-denomination where I'd see people with tattoos and shit that wasn't like the Catholic upbringing that I'd go to and stand in church and be like, what the fuck is everyone dressed like we're going to a wedding and like we're all nailing and like, what the fuck? I used to be so confused at church, dude. And so when you get to this thing in AA, right? I mean, I get it. Like in the beginning, like, oh God and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, I'm not doing that. And like, you know, I had a sponsor who was very much on the same page as me with certain things, but also found a way and was like, you know, are you willing to believe that there's some kind of creator, that there's something bigger than us that's created this? And I'm like, fuck yeah. And he's like, cool. Game over. You know, like for me, I'm a very visual. I need things. Like I use the wind for the longest time. Like I don't buy the doorknob thing. I'll smash a doorknob off a fucking door. That's not a power greater than me. A coffee cup. I'll smash that against the wall. It's not a power greater than me. Me chucking it against the wall is. But the wind, I can't just go outside and manipulate the wind, right? And I can't deny that if I go out there and feel that, something's pushing that shit around. It ain't me. I don't see any fucking fans out there. So, like, <laughs> you know, to me, man, I, I really need things like, here's the circle peg. It goes in the circle. Here's the square peg. You know, because if you don't tell me, I'm really trying to jam the fucking square one in the circle over and over and over. But I just needed a quick instruction. And uh, and that's like so much of my sobriety, man, was like, I told you, and when I first went into the rooms, I used to see these guys because I'm in West L.A., mind you, some motherfuckers get Teslas, Ferraris, motors, you name it, right? The watches, all the shit. And I'm like, these motherfuckers, like, I should, they should, I, they should be a tax. You're lucky I'm even letting you come in here without fucking robbing you. That's how my mind thought at the beginning, right? And then I was like, because you never even had any fucking problems. How the fuck do you drive a car like that? How the fuck do you have a credit score or a house or anything? You've never had any fucking problems. You've never slept on the street. Little boy, was I fucking wrong, right? Because I've done all those things and I'm in a beautiful fucking home that I own right now, you know, because what I had to do is start asking guys, just like I fucking picked up my big boy nuts and said, hey, man, I can't get sober. I need your fucking help. Same thing. Hey, man, I've never had a good credit score. I don't even know what that is. How do I fix my credit? Let me show you. Hey, I've never bought a house or a car or something. What are the steps I need? And it wasn't just, oh, we'll go down the street. It was a fucking process. Shit took time. And I didn't like that. I like instant gratification. I like Amazon a lot. Let me get that shit tomorrow, baby. You know? <laughs> But again, man, sobriety taught me to calm down, to be okay with myself. And to me, it's that whole, like that release of like uh, letting go of that bondage of self, right? I'm my own worst enemy, man. And like, uh, and I even still am, I'm, I'm, I'm the worst critic. You guys get it doing a podcast when it comes to editing, when it comes to logos, when it comes to this shit, like you want to be such a perfectionist. I look like a fucking idiot. My beard looks stupid. Can we redo it? I shouldn't have wore that shirt. It made me look fat. My tits are hanging down. <laughs> That's all I'm doing is rewatching my episodes going, Jesus, look at my fucking tits, dude. Why the fuck would I have worn that shirt? You know? And like, how many people thought that? Probably three of my friends, definitely. 
But other than that, no one, you know? Isn't it wild how, like, inside your own head you can get? Like, I've looked, I'm sure you, you hear, well, I hear all the time in AA, I've lived inside my head my whole life, and now I've finally learned to get out of it. So, yeah, that's one of my I mean, favorite things. You know, like, what, what AA is to me is, like, I was an adult baby that needed wow. other former adult babies to treat me, to teach me how to be an adult. Right. Cause I didn't know how I didn't know how, and that it's not, I like, I know how to do laundry and shit like that. I didn't know how to be an adult. I didn't know what you did day to day. I didn't get it. Even if I have a job, fine. Then what? Even if I play video games, I get a girlfriend. Then what? It was always then what, right? FOMO or whatever the fuck, like just this, what am I missing? Or I gotta be like, when I was a kid, I remember always like, where are my friends? What's going on? Like, God forbid, I just sit home and do something by myself. No way. I needed that stimulation to where now I'm at this place, like me and my wife. So just to update you, right? So what my, I, I told you a little bit about what my life looked like, what it looks like now. I own a home in Texas. I got a vehicle. I got two awesome dogs. Uh, one that I trained for personal protection. And I have a wife. I got married. I bought her a goddamn engagement ring with my own money. Another thing that I didn't understand, because like, unless I'm doing a drug deal for five grand right there, how does one save five grand for something? <laughs> I don't get, uh, oh, save like 200 every, oh, right. Okay. Like that didn't make sense to me. It was, how do I get just that five grand today? Who can I rob? What can I do? What's the quick answer? And I didn't take that quick answer. So I proposed to her at my, uh, on my two years. And uh, she put this great video together with all my friends wishing me a two, man, it was, it was great. And, uh, and ultimately we left California and we bought a home in Texas and we're here with the dogs and we got our first, my little girls do uh, the day after Christmas, man. And I, I couldn't be, I couldn't be fucking more happy. And I couldn't be like, it's crazy, man. It's crazy to think that I'm in a place where like, I got, never mind the cash and prizes. I got peace of mind. I got like, I'm okay with me. I'm ready to take on it. Am I going to fuck up a bunch? Yeah, dude, for sure. But like, I'm so excited. At least I get to like be present and not like just some junky piece of shit, just contributing nothing and stealing oxygen from humans and, and you know, whatever. Um, and I'm really grateful, man. I'm really grateful for my life. And like, I just got off the phone with my buddy before this uh, podcast and I was telling him like, I mean, not a day goes by that I don't wake up in this house and think about the times of being on a mattress in an apartment if I was lucky to even have that. Never mind panhandling or the treatment places, the prison cells. And like I walk out here in my underwear, you know, with my dick hanging out, swinging around in my boxes in my own home because like no one's going to come yell at me. There's no female staff working here. You know what I mean? It's like... It's wild, dude. It's wild to me. And when people ask me like, oh, but don't you like, oh, I just, when people start getting so mad, I'm like, yeah, man, I get it too. Like I murder motherfuckers in my head daily, especially driving in traffic, but I keep the windows up. I'm not rolling the window down, chasing people around and you fuck this and fuck that. Like for what? You know what I mean? I, I have things today. Like to me, the most dangerous person is a motherfucker that's got nothing to lose. And that's who I was for the longest time. So yeah, go ahead. If, try your luck. Whereas now you can try your luck. Cause I'm not willing to like, I have shit. I have shit to lose. Consequences are huge. Now I lose my family. I lose, I lose a lot of stuff and I'm not, I'm not willing to uh, go down that route. So 
what I do is I continue to work a program. I continue to make sure I'm talking to my sponsor, talking to my sponsee, doing meetings. Thank God for Zoom. I got buddies in Canada, buddies in, in LA. And uh, and it's it's great, man. A lot of people hate it, but I think it's it's done wonders to be able to still bring, you know how many people I've seen like take cakes for like two years and still haven't even been to an in-person meeting? That blows my mind. Me, I need to be touched and hugged and shit and like told that it's going to be okay. I, I give them so much credit, man. That's huge. I had a question, Shane, for you, just uh, to go back to like early on when you got, you know, released, you're out of the military. Like, do you think there should be a better job done with like the exit strategy for especially young guys that, that go into the army and, and uh, maybe like mandatory courses you take at the end of it or to help you deal with that trauma? Cause I mean, as young adults, as like 17, 18, and then going to the army, you don't really know how to deal with, uh, with anything really. Right. So. Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I don't know because I went in in 2000, right? I got home from overseas in uh, 2003. So when I came home, you signed a motherfucking paper. Everything was cool. Keep it pumping, troop. You know what I mean? It wasn't until years later that I started seeing guys with PTSD and all this shit. And I was like, what? You know, like it just, it was like, oh, wait, when I was in prison that I finally started seeing like, oh shit, this might be real, you know? So, um, uh, I don't know what it's like now. I, I also know that our military is not what it once was and leadership is failing. And I have a lot of friends that are ETSing and, and getting out because they're just done with the bullshit. And, uh, but yeah, I, I, I hope by now, Dave, that they have something in place like that. But again, it's one of those things that even if it is, I don't know how many people are willing to uh, but then again, I think we are, I think we're at a different place now too, right? In 2000, you figure 20 years ago, we weren't talking about trauma the way we were. We definitely weren't talking about people's feelings or fucking pronouns, you know, and that shit matters now. Like at jump school, they have someone come out. That's like, you know, if anyone's having anxiety about this and wants to talk, dude, what? No, you can't do that to a fucking airborne infantry guy. Like you want to do that with the medics and shit. That's like one thing, but um, so I don't know, man, I don't, I don't know what it's like, but I would love to see the same thing for prison. And it's not like that because here I am, I'm only doing a five year sentence, but because I've been such a behavioral issue or whatever, they automatically, you know, send me to a maximum security prison with guys that are never going home. And like, that's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, unless I'm really fucking people up, but just regular fighting and shit, I don't think I should have ever seen past a medium security. And I damn sure think especially if you're not doing life and you have five years, two years, whatever, your last year should look like something uh, granted with, you know, exceptions. You, you're being a complete asshole. That's different. But like, for me, I was able to at least my last year kind of calm down and go to a medium and, and, and do that. But it's still, there was no, I, I did like the, the drug program where there was probably more drugs in the drug program than there was in regular population. And, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's really, I found it difficult personally, you know, uh, to like take shit, anything serious, you know, it still was, there was no work to be done yet. It was still just, you know, let's just keep feeding this beast and making this, you know, as angry and pissed off as possible, you know, but I would love to see more of that stuff. And I know that they are off it, but it's like, you have to have been in a minimum or you have to go to pre-release and get off of this shit. So like, 
when you see these guys, I mean, I don't know, man. I know where I'm from at Mass. Like, if you're doing the scared straight program and stuff, those guys are not tough. Those guys have – it's not that they're not tough. What I mean is they're not causing any trouble. That's why they were able to get to those positions. So when they get in there with all this yelling and shit, nah. Because, no. Because I remember when that came through and I was like, I'm down. And they were like, not a fucking chance. You know? And the kid next to me, like, you know, it threw a fucking – fry on the ground and they were like yeah come on you're in <laughs> shane um i saw your post on instagram that you uh went back to the place on your four-year sober sober day is that what is that what it was went back to the place you got in the the incident that first sent you to jail yes when i went to boston what? fuck it can you describe the feeling of that Again, so another one. Listen, I'd love to give you a fucking scripted for TV answer because I could come up with a cool one. When we went to Boston, dude, you know, my wife's from England and uh, it was our first time going there. And you can see behind me, we have a tea company called Boston, the Brit Tea Company. All I do is give her shit about the tea party and stuff. So, um, uh, you know what, dude? So we got COVID on that trip is my point. And it was one of the worst trips of my entire life. But I got this cup from Pizzeria Regina. If you ever go there, Boston's favorite pizza place is the stop. Anyways, um, that's a, that's a fucking good question. You know what? I like that you guys are goddamn prepared because I've been on a lot of fucking podcasts and they don't come and they just ask me to talk and don't know shit and act like it's all new information. So thank you. Um, how was that feeling? You know what it was? was like. I don't want to say victorious in this way of like that I was the Captain Morgan guy and just like chest <laughs> out victorious. But like, I remember just being like, man, I've come such a long way. Like I'm standing here with my at the time fiance. I'm sober. Like my life's not in shambles. And, uh, and this, that spot could have changed my life. I mean, it did change my life drastically, but I could have done life in prison that night. And then that, you know, so, it, man, there was a lot of emotions, plus being there with my, you know, my wife and uh, and experiencing that with her, I think. What was cool for me was to be able to do that with her. And, like, she doesn't know me fucked up. She doesn't know me as, like, a, a lunatic. She knows me sober, you know? And and I hope, not hope, and that's how it'll be. Um, but what helped for me is, like, I, you know, I, I get vulnerable with my wife and, and I, I talk real shit and like it, it was it's comforting to know that I had a, a woman by my side that like you know made me made me feel okay you know what I mean made me feel safe while I was like experiencing I mean dude I, it's like I feel so uncomfortable saying shit like, like it's I'm telling you man I don't know what it is in our DNA as men that's like so uncomfortable to like talk about shit without being like god I'm such a fucking dork you know know what man maybe i am but like i'm a fucking sober happy dork instead of a cool pissed off junkie you know gotta get uncomfortable to feel comfortable that's it baby that's it i tell them all (laughs) shane when you like uh when you look back at like your using days in your wildest dreams did you ever think you'd be able to like achieve the life that you have now not a fucking chance like i i mean I don't even know what I thought the best was going to be, you know, doing the shuffle, try to survive in this program and then get an apartment, work some labor job. I I don't really know what I thought 
in Boston, but then leaving there, like I've never been one to be afraid to leave and kind of go. I tried Arizona once when I was young and, you know, I was never, I love Boston. I love my city. I'll always be from there, but I've never been like tied to it. Like I have to live here kind of thing, you know? And, um, like, I, and I tell my wife this, like when we, you know, sometimes when we argue, I don't know if any of you guys are married or your girlfriend, sometimes when you argue and stuff and that, you know, she has trauma and her shit too. And one of her thing is, you know, like me is fear of abandonment. She's her always thing is like, doesn't want me to leave. Doesn't want me to leave. And I'm like, try to explain to her like how, like, and not to mention that I was not faithful in the beginning of our relationship. She knows that again, I got honest because I'm working a 90% program and that 10% was like, dude, you're still being a motherfucker. Like you don't get to do that. You know what I mean? You can, but if that's, you know, but you can't. So uh, I told her like, you know, the fact that like I saved money, thousands of dollars to go have a custom ring made for you. The fact that I would even think about, you know what? I think I'm going to ask this girl to marry me. You know what I mean? Like that dude, that wasn't on my radar. How, what the fuck do I have to offer you? girlfriends for the rest of my life will be cool and swiping right and swiping left. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. It's so easily accessible. Who needs to get married? Fuck it. You know, I'm like, you know, I think like, you know, another sad thing in this country or in this world is just a lot of older things, a lot of values just aren't the same anymore. You know, divorces through the roof and just because things are so convenient before you used to have to like talk to people, schedule trips on the phone and like, can't wait to see you. We got the pictures in the mail. Now I can just go on Zoom and see you if I want to go on my iPhone, check your social media and then jerk my dick till it falls off all day long, you know, like, <laughs> or then go on fucking Bumble and Tinder and start swiping. And like, what do I care if you don't like me? Fuck it. I'll just find some. Right. So it becomes such like a just dump it onto the next thing that I explained to her, like, you know, I've lived like that for so long and I didn't think that I could find a, a person, you know, and when I got uh honest with her about all this stuff um because again i met her i was a year sober when we met i have no excuse you know i was i was doing my sixth step it was something i knew i couldn't it was a character defect i wasn't re really willing to get rid of i wasn't willing to tell you that i wasn't gonna fuck another girl ever again in my life couldn't do it couldn't do it because i actually wasn't willing to tell you that because i wasn't willing to fucking do it so you know i had to go through this whole thing with my sponsorship you know and then ultimately it was like you know what man if i don't fucking do something and like show this girl that like, she's the one like, I need my head checked. Like, what the fuck am I doing? What am I doing, man? You know? And, uh, I get sick of making her cry and shit. Like just being a, I just didn't want to do that. So, you know, man, the fact that, and then we got married and I told her like, I, this is it. This is it for me. This isn't like, if this doesn't work, you know, back to swiping and let's see who my new wife is. No, dude, this is it. We work on shit. We figure out, excuse me. I'm grateful for my wife because she's not in the program. But because I've done extensive work, because I've worked in trauma, because I've done all these things, she's interested. She's intrigued. She asks questions so that now when we fight or have arguments. I'm like, hey, so, you know, and I don't always want to be your therapist and shit, but I know some things about some things. So like when you're responding like this, I think it has something to do with this. Just take a look at that, you know, and she's like open to that stuff and she works on her shit and like it works. And that's another thing where. You know, and uh, the fact that we were able to to buy a house and like we're running a business together and we're starting a family. No way, man. No fucking way. I don't even know what I could have told you what I thought the best for me was. But let me tell you, once upon a time, 
I sat at the South Boston table in the maximum secure and MCI Walpole. And that was it for me. As far as I was concerned, I don't need any. That's it. I had reached my ceiling. This is as cool and as tough as you can be is to just say you had a seat there. And it's like, who gives a fuck? Nobody outside gives a fuck. Nobody that like has a regular job gives a fuck that I sat at the South Boston table. You know who cares? Motherfuckers in treatment and other guys in prison. That's it. Shane, you got that uh, the T-Venture going. And it looks like you got a lot of other stuff going on. You want to talk about, you know, you got the podcast. Yeah, so, what else you got going on? Yeah. So, um, so I was doing the, I did the deviant gentleman podcast with Tommy vexed and then just with moving and him, you know, he faced a lot of stuff with getting kicked out of the band for voting for Trump. And, uh, you know, he, he went through a lot of, uh, stuff of trying to get canceled and stuff and then started his own new band and started touring and stuff. And obviously like it just couldn't work out. So, I tried, I tried a few other things and, um, you know, this is what I realized again, because again, being, being a great fucking alcoholic drug addict and being an overthinker and a perfectionist and shit, I'm just like, my business failed, man. Deviant gentleman failed. It, it was cool. It had a good run and then it shit the bed, but like it didn't, it didn't shit the bed. It's just not where I want it to be. And I'm thinking about what Avenue I want to go with next. And I just don't know right now, as far as deviant gentleman's concerned, it's just on ice. Um, and again, I have, I've been considering some new podcast ideas and stuff. Cause I miss it, man. I love this shit. I really do. And I feel like it's important and people are listening and I remember that. And I, you know, people are still reaching out to me about putting out episodes. It's just, it's just not working out for me right now. And it's just a season and it's the way it goes. So, so yeah, right now, the big focus for us is the tea. You know, we started the Boston and the Brit tea company and, uh, based everything's around the revolutionary war and, you know, fun play on words and stuff. And, that's another thing. I just redid the website and stuff. And everything I do is just, I just figure it out. I go to YouTube university and fucking put in, how do you do this? And how do you do that? And I trial and error and I fuck it up and I should probably have a marketing guy and I probably need an account, you know, but like, I don't, man, because like, I'm just trying to do life like the next motherfucker. I feel like so many people got this facade. I like that. Everything's great and everything's going well. And look at how much I'm just, you know, rolling over, just, get the Supreme money shooters just shooting bills everywhere. And it's like, that's not what's happening for me, you know, but uh, I am very grateful for where, you know, so many things have got me and, uh, and I've developed so many connections with things. I feel like I have so many kind of projects going on at all at once because I have so many creative friends and so many people that are doing so many things. It's like, you try to get your hand in one thing here and there and some things work and some things don't, you know? So uh, so yeah, I mean, anyone that's, if you drink tea or you're interested in tea, we get, uh, we got new holiday packs we're putting up. We also just started a subscription tea club where you, the tea just gets sent to you monthly. You send um, to Canada? Huh? Yeah, we'll send to Canada. We send to oh. England. We send all over. Yeah. I'll be absolutely. getting some. Yeah. Uh, Boston and the Brit.com. It, it's, it's good. And, you know, we kind of get a little bit of our story on there and, uh, you know, for me, man, what I realized too is like I was such a fraud for so long. Um, and what I mean by that is like I was, I was a scared, shy kid. I, I just didn't, I had questions. I didn't, I was, I felt weird. I felt different, you know? And you don't get to do that sometimes as a kid. And you definitely sometimes don't get to do that with other kids because then you get fucking tormented. So you eat it. And you eat that uncomfortability until it becomes normal, right? And um, uh, but 
once I, so once I got into like a fight or I started doing this thing and I, I saw this like persona I could develop, it's only a lie. And like, when you don't believe it, once you stop believing that you're a fucking stone cold killer, I mean, you, I'm, well, let me, let me rephrase that. You are until you're faced with a fucking situation and then we'll see if you are or not, you know? But, and uh, there was times that I was and times that I wasn't. There's been times I've held my head and been like, holy shit, you know? And other times where I'm run right into the thing. But it was all bullshit. Not all of it, but a lot of it, like I would never tell you that I'm hurting or that, uh, you know, I'm sad or that I miss people or that I'm feeling a certain way, you know? Whereas now I recognize something and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, babe, you know what? Like, this has nothing. To, I, I give her warning sometimes. Like, I just want to let you know something happened today it has absolutely nothing to do with you or the situation. It brought up some old shit, but I'm this close to being a motherfucker. I just want you to know, you know, and, and, and that's the difference, you know, but like, I try my best to be authentic today. And that's why it's like, if I, you know, I, that caught me the first, that first time when I got that year, not being authentic is what caught me up. Right. Because it was like, I got to put on this facade that I'm doing so great and everything's always fucking awesome. And I have no worries in the world. I'm like, no, man, you're, I'm a, I'm a human. I'm allowed to have days. I tell my wife, even today's one of those days, babe. I'm just, I'm just, it's just one of those days, you know? And like tomorrow's a fucking new start, you know, or you get out of it where I used to stay in a funk for so long and resentment, man. That's another thing I squash with fucking quickness. As soon as I feel little resentment me and my wife call them like you know at the end of the week we do like you get a bag of like little resentments you want to fucking let's hear them you know what i mean spew them let's get this shit out we do that you know i'm at my desk and her desk is right across from me so she like turns around and this is where we'll sit and you know she'll start with something and i'll go like this and i go you want to fight and she's like yeah i'm like send it let's get it out you know what i mean because i'd rather do that then we both sit on resentment or you're resentful towards me. I'm reading it. Now it's fuck you. I can't do fuck yous because then sooner or later I go fuck you to everything and I burn it to the ground and I'll be shooting heroin and either overdose or, or be in prison. I mean, I, I should be dead or in prison. Man. Like every day is a fucking gift for me. So I'm just so grateful that I finally woke up. Like I finally, you know, and it's like, everyone's like, Oh, you got to do the work. Like, look, man, I've been a manual laborer in my entire life. That's work. This wasn't work. It was getting uncomfortable and doing some, kind of some like <sighs> pain in the ass stuff is what it is. It was more of a pain in the ass to do and write, do it all. But it, I mean, it changed my life and so many other people too. So it's like, I mean, dude, honestly, I feel like the 12 steps is something that sh it should be a class in third grade. Because we lose out on how to cope with shit. If we don't have people helping us out with that, we figure it out on ourselves. You're on a fucking stripper pole or you're behind bars, Holmes. You know what I mean? Absolutely, man. Fellas, any more questions for Shane? I got <clears throat> I got one. You miss uh, you miss hockey at all? You know. I get a, I get a couple of buddies that are sober that play in the NHL. I get a couple that are retired that are sober. Um, and it's so cool, man. It's so cool. Like that I get to watch them live what I always dreamed of doing, you know? And, um, uh, I do. And like, I skated a few times out in LA. I'm probably the only person in Texas with a full bag of hockey equipment in the garage. Um, 
and uh you know i haven't been out to the aerodome or anything uh and uh but i still got my stick in the garage i get a little tape ball out there and you know i fire it around every now and again but dude hockey will always forever just you know there's some things that stay ingrained in your dna forever and hockey's one of them now if i was to turn on the tv right now do i know more than probably 10 fucking players in the league probably not not like how it was in the eighties and nineties when I knew every player on every team and had every card and knew everyone's number. You know what I mean? Like I miss being that into it, but I also think it's fucking weird to be an adult male. That's that into sports. That's just <laughs> me. Um, you know, like I love it, but I also don't give a fuck if the Bruins don't win the Stanley cup. Like it's, I'm going to sleep, you know, Absolutely. I want them to, but I'm a, I'm a grown up. <laughs> Shane, man, thank you so much for joining us today, bro. Of course. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you for reaching out. And congratulations on everything. And thank congratulations you. on uh, the little baby girl. Yeah, I appreciate it. Look, to anyone, uh, 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 I don't know, maybe you're going to do this at the end, but my Instagram is at Shane, V-I-T-K-O, at Shane Vitko. You're struggling. You got questions. You've been to prison. You feel like no one understands whatever it is. Hit me up. Send me a message. You know, I might not respond instantly, but I will definitely get back to you and do whatever I can. I'll send you in the right direction because, uh, yeah, people were there for me and, and I'm so grateful they were. Yeah. Guys, we'll, uh, we'll include that down in the description. Um, thank you so much for listening. Shane, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please reach out and ask for help.